Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part six of the series, Alien Invasion. Amen. So say with me, we're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Woohoo! Amen. Hallelujah. So, Alien Invasion, part six. Praise the Lord. You know, each week in this series, we've begun with an opening statement to the residents of planet Earth. And we've been doing that for two reasons. Number one, uh, to couch our discussion of end times in science fiction and science fantasy terms and imagery to have a little bit of fun with it. But also as an outline that sort of covers the end time topics that we're going to be discussing throughout the series. And if you've been keeping up, we pretty much are going down those item by item and validating them with the scriptures, with the word of God. In fact, next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the opening statement and I'm going to give you a little uh, a little giblet, a little nugget from scripture for each item showing where we found that in the scripture. I think it'll be pretty cool. Amen. Hallelujah. So here we go again with the opening statement. Bear with me because I'm having a lot of fun with this. There are aliens in our midst who have mingled with the population of the earth for thousands of years. They come from a world that is billions of light years from this planet, one that is more powerful and more technologically advanced than anything we could ever imagine here on earth. They look like earthlings on the outside, but on the inside, they are very, very different from the residents of this world. After a prolonged period of waging warfare for the hearts and minds of the people of planet Earth, these aliens will be removed by their leader and will be teleported to the capital city of their home planet. After a short celebration in their capital city, these aliens will assemble the greatest army that the universe has ever seen. Headed by their fearless and powerful leader, they will be teleported back to Earth successfully invade this planet, conquer the armies of the earth, and set up their own worldwide government, a government that will last for 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, the alien leader will put down all remaining rebellion and will begin to fundamentally transform the nature of this planet. He will transport the capital of his world through a space-time portal across the vast expanse of the universe and will make it the capital of this world forever. He will rule this planet from this capital and will radically change the environment of our world to make it perfectly suitable for his people and his way of life. Planet Earth will never, ever be the same. Residents of Earth, do not fear. I promise I will show you in your Bible why all of the things I have just told you will surely come to pass. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let's recap the series so far. So in this series so far, we've learned that those of us who call Jesus Lord, those of us who are born again, we are the aliens in this story. Amen. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? Jesus was the one who said, we are not of this world. So by that standard, we are aliens. You might have a human body, but the spirit on the inside of you was birthed from planet heaven. Amen. Glory to God. Everything about us is alien to this world system. So in a very real sense, 
the second coming of Christ, when we ride behind Jesus at his second coming, it will be an alien invasion. Amen. So let's take another look at our end times timeline. We've got the first coming of Christ that we're all familiar with, then the church age, and sometime in the near future, we will be raptured, and the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the in the air to be with the Lord. Amen. That's the rapture. We will receive our incorruptible, immortal, indestructible bodies just like Jesus. It's going to be cool. We'll be just like superheroes. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the purpose of this series was to concentrate on the second coming of Christ and the subsequent millennial reign of Christ, which I have called the alien invasion and the subsequent alien occupation of planet Earth. It's a true statement if you think about it right. Amen. Hallelujah. It's coming. There is an alien invasion coming and we're going to be a part of it. And we're not just coming to invade. We're coming to take over the planet. We're coming to occupy the planet for 1,000 years and beyond. Amen. It's a cool concept, but it's true. It's Bible. Hallelujah. Let's talk about this alien occupation of earth and your part in it. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 through 6 in the New King James Version. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In this verse, we learn there's a group of people, righteous saints, who will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And in that group of people, the people that lost their heads for Jesus will be included. Amen. Glory to God. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. All the righteous dead who are raised to newness of life at the rapture and all of those that are alive at his coming will be caught up together and we are part of what is referred to in eschatology. That's a fancy word for end time studies. It's referred to as the rapture of the church. Amen. The catching up of the church. All right. So that's part of the first resurrection. Now, I haven't had time to go through this because we sort of skipped over the seven-year tribulation period, mainly because we're not going to be here, amen? And I don't believe we should devote as much attention to a, a, a span of time that we're not going to be here as the time period when we are going to be here, amen? It's not that we can't study it, but suffice it to say, for seven years, the earth will be judged, and it won't be pretty, but we'll miss it because we're not appointed to wrath, amen? Every type in the Bible has the righteous being removed before judgment falls. It'll be the same with the rapture of the church. And let me just be on the record here. I just want to say this. This is my personal feeling. There are some who teach only those who are just ramped up and ready and living hot for God and have no sin in their life. Only those are going to go up at the rapture. I say, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? I do not believe that. If you are born again, if Jesus is your Lord, 
I'm sorry some people aren't living right for God, but listen, if you belong to him, you're going in the rapture. You're going to lose a great reward probably because you didn't live right, but that's my personal opinion. I don't think any Christians truly born again, even if they're not living for God, I don't, they're going to, I don't think they're going to get left behind. That's my personal belief. Because then where would you draw the line and what sin would you say was the one that was more than the blood of Jesus paid for? What, what sin would that be? If a sin could send you to hell, let's just turn it around and, and let's look at it, the more serious case. If a sin could send you to hell, what sin would that be if you're born again and washed by the blood of Jesus? What sin would that be? You know, so I extend that to the rapture. If a sin would leave you behind, <laughs> what sin would that be that was greater than the blood of Jesus? Now, that's just my personal conviction. It is not a license for people to go out there and live for the devil because it won't be pretty and it will bring death and destruction into your life and into your family and you will lose your rewards when you do make it to heaven. So don't go there. You know, grace is not a license to sin. It's not, you know, and there are consequences to sin. Namely, now I don't know why I'm on this, but somebody needed to hear this. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, you know, he lost his baby because of his sin. And Nathan said, the Lord has already put away your sin. In other words, he's already determined ahead of time that he's going to forgive you. But this thing that you have done has given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord. In other words, when you sin as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, you open the door wide for Satan to come bring death and destruction into your life. So don't do it. Don't use the grace that is yours for a license to sin. Amen. I hope I got that balance for you guys. Amen. You are part of the first resurrection if you get raptured. And listen, nobody's going to get left out of the rapture. Think about it. You know, even if you die before the rapture, the Bible says the dead in Christ get to rise first. They get dibs, you know. All right. Verse six of Revelation chapter 20. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, which we've been talking about at length. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It's pretty plain, isn't it? And there are people out there, I just read a couple, couple of them a couple of nights ago, who do not believe in a literal millennial reign. I'm sorry, this is kind of hard to get around. Especially when you consider God's promise to David that his son would rule on the throne in Jerusalem one day. This is a part of the fulfillment of that promise. So let me back up here. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, which includes the rapture. Over such the second death has no power. The second death we find out later is the lake of fire. So if you get raptured, you are guaranteed you will not have part in the lake of fire. And that's a good thing. Amen. Hallelujah. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And that's what we're going to center in on today. What will life be like in the millennial reign of Christ? I'm telling you in a word, it's going to be glorious. 
It is going to be beyond words that we could use to describe today. It's going to be glorious. Let me just give you a couple of passages that we read last week that sort of set the tone for the millennial era. And they are from Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 8 and 9 in the New King James Version. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Part of the knowledge of the Lord is the peace of the Lord, and the peace of the Lord will be so pervasive, it will bring peace to the animal kingdom. And it'll also bring peace between animals and mankind. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 65, 20 and 21 and then 24 and 25. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Skip on down to verse 24. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. Whoo, glory. That's another glory stop. I'm going to stop right there and say glory to God. There's an era coming when the mortals that live on this planet won't even have time to take their prayers to the Lord because when they discuss them with their wife or their neighbor, the Lord's going to overhear and he's going to answer anyway. Hallelujah. Isn't that glorious? Can you imagine all of your needs being instantly met? That's the kind of era that it's going to be. It's going to be glorious. Hallelujah. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. If you see the picture of the lion and the lamb in the nice portrait, they got it wrong. The Bible says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. But the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen. Now, listen, let me direct your attention to the snakes. It says the snakes will eat dust. Well, back here in Isaiah 11, it says the snakes will play with the children. Okay, so uh, there's two different snakes going on here. All right. The first ones are the physical snakes. Listen, the snakes of this planet didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) They didn't. They, They are they are innocent, as is the rest of the animal kingdom. The curse came on them because of us, because of Adam's sin, right? The serpents being discussed here in Isaiah 65, that's a reference to the devil and his minions. They're going to be neutralized. They're going to eat dust during the millennial era. They will have no impact. They will not be able to deceive the nations. Amen. Can you imagine a world where the devil is not telling people the voices in their head to go shoot and kill. You know, Trish and I have some friends, and they went to our Bible school, and their oldest son went to our Bible school, and they were murdered um, two weeks ago. Murdered, given somebody a ride home from the mall. He murdered them. 
and set their car on fire. Okay. And the police asked him, why did you do this? He said, because the voices in my head told me to. That's satanic. That's demonic. They're talking about mental illness. That is beyond mental illness. That is demonic. Okay. There will be none of that during the millennial era. None of that. There will be no voices, no satanic kingdom to deceive the nations. It'll be glorious. All right, let me just bullet point some things that are going to characterize the millennial era that are just cool as you can imagine. There will be two classes of beings on the earth during the millennial era. Superhumans, that's us, hallelujah. Those of us that were born again, spirit-filled before the rapture, that's us. We're going to have new bodies, and we're going to be like superheroes. There's going to be superhumans and natural humans who survive the seven-year tribulation and flow into the millennial age and populate planet Earth. Amen. As superhumans, we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ over the natural humans who are populating planet Earth during the millennial age. So I get that question a lot because I've taught for seven years in the Bible school on Revelation. People say, well, during the millennial reign, who are we going to rule and reign over? Each other? I'm like, no, it's not like that. (laughs) No, there's going to be superhuman, immortal, indestructible humans that are going to rule and reign with Christ over the natural human beings that live during the millennial era. But even the natural human beings are going to be better off than they are in this age. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The lifespan of natural humans will be restored and will be measured in hundreds of years, not mere decades. Death will not be unheard of, but it will be rare. Prayers, as we've already talked about, prayers will be answered instantly, even before they are offered up to the Lord. Hallelujah. Peace will even come to the animal kingdom, and nothing will have to die or be eaten so that others may live. Now listen, I, 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 I'm not a hunter, never have been. I don't like shooting furry creatures. I like all the animals, okay? I just, something in me, I couldn't do it, okay? Now, I'll eat them, but I let somebody else shoot them, okay? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in the millennial era, nothing will have to die so that something else can eat. Now, I don't know if that means we're going to be vegetarians. It sure seems that way. And I'm betting there's going to be some really tasty fruit developed during the millennial era. Those of us that are meat eaters and carnivores, you know, there's going to have to be some compensation. But, you know, it has to have been thought of by the Lord. So I'm sure there's like, you know, like a a steak banana that'll start growing that when, when you eat it, it tastes like a steak or, you know, or... I don't know, you know, it's just, trust me, it's going to be glorious and you're not going to miss the steaks because the fruit is going to be so awesome. You're going to love it. Hallelujah. All right. Wild animals will pose no threat to human beings whatsoever. The little babies playing in the cobra's hole. Can you imagine what you would do if you found your little two-year-old playing with a cobra? First of all, if you survive, you know, falling out, you'd be running over there grabbing your child as quick as possible. But now it's going to be, oh, she's got a little friend. (laughs) Wow, he's got a big old tongue, too, you know. 
Look, he's curled up next to her when she's sleeping. I know you can't imagine that. So let me just turn it to something you probably could imagine. If you want a pet bear, you can have a pet bear. He's not going to hurt you. Okay? I don't know. That'd be one big litter box, but. Listen to this. Technology, commerce, and prosperity will explode as the world system will be dominated by the glory and the knowledge of God. Amen. The devil and his demons will be inactive during this era and darkness will not be able to overcome the light of God's glory and the resulting revelation, innovation, and prosperity that will be loosed on planet Earth as a result. Amen. There will be peace and prosperity at unparalleled levels all over the earth for 1,000 years. I like to think about it like this. Jesus will say to the world, you've had 6,000 years to rule this earth and you have made a royal mess of it. I'm going to show you how it's done. I'm going to give you 1,000 years of peace and prosperity and longevity and action and adventure like you've never imagined, this is the way it should have been. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It will be the closest thing to a true utopia that the earth has ever seen. Now, here's one that is near and dear to my heart. I don't care how crazy it makes me sound. The distant stars and galaxies of this seemingly infinite universe will be ours to explore. And in order for that to be done, we'll have to figure out a way to propel our spacecraft at greater than light speed. We're going to have to figure a way how to get around Einstein's universal speed limit. Right now, nothing can go faster than 186,000 miles a second. There's a barrier that seems impossible to get beyond. Now, I'll give you just a real quick synopsis of why in this natural world, with our technology, we will never go greater than the speed of light. I'll tell you why. Because as you approach the speed of light, three things happen. Time dilates, or it goes slower for the space traveler. Okay, As you approach... The speed of light, time slows down, length decreases, and mass increases. As you approach the speed of light, in fact, your mass increases towards infinity. So in order to get past that barrier, you would have to develop a propulsion system that can take a mass that's near infinity and get it across that line somehow. It's just not possible, not to mention the fact that you would have to build this spacecraft with materials that could withstand everything that will happen to it, this spacecraft, as it tries to punch through the speed of light. I'm just telling you right now, it ain't going to happen, right? If we're going to do it, we're going to need some help from King Jesus. Lord, your angels travel instantly all over the galaxy. They do it somehow. So teach us how to do it in this realm. 
Angels go from the natural realm, they slip into the supernatural realm, and they go where they need to go, and then they reappear in the natural, and they do it at near instantaneous speed. If they can do it, we can do it. Amen? We got King Jesus living with us on the planet. Tell us how to get around this, Lord, because if you gave us this great big wide galaxy to explore, we ain't going to get very far if we can't go faster than light. Because even at light speed, to get to our nearest neighboring star, Alpha Centauri, it's actually a trinary star system. There's three stars, Alpha Centauri, A, B, and C, about 4.3 light years from the Earth. Even with something, uh, even in a spaceship that approached 95% the speed of light, it would still take us um, about 10 years to do a round trip. Okay. Now, for us, approaching the speed of light, time would slow down. So, for us, it would be, you know, about 15 months or so. Okay. But by the time we got back to Earth, you know, about eight to nine years, maybe, maybe not 10, but eight to nine years would have passed. Okay. And that's the nearest star. So, if we want to get to, say, Andromeda Galaxy, that's 250 million light years from ours. We're going to need some serious propulsion to get that done. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe it'll be done in the millennial era. I can foresee a day when starships manned by mixed crews of humans and superhumans will embark on far-reaching exploratory missions. And I'll be the first one to volunteer for such missions. Amen. Trish is going to stay back at the ranch. She's already told me. You go, explore the heavens. I'm staying in my mansion <laughs> with her animals, with her zoo. She's going to have her own private, personal zoo. All right, so I hope I've lit your imagination about the era that is upon us. It's coming. It's coming. The millennial era is coming. So what can we do to prepare ourselves now for this world of wonders that awaits us during the millennial kingdom? Well, in order to tell you that, I have to get you back down to earth. Let's come back to earth and let's talk about the scripture that is commonly referred to as the parable of the talents. Real quickly, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and 15, and then 19 through 23. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now, going down to verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more his lord said unto him well done thou good and faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things i will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of thy lord he also that had received two talents came and said lord thou deliverest unto me two talents behold i have gained two other talents beside them his lord said unto him well done good and faithful servant 
thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, isn't it a bit of a coincidence that the English King James Version translates these bags of money, they called them talents, as talents. That's pretty close to gifts and abilities, isn't it? I don't think it's an accident. You see, a talent was a bag of gold or silver that weighed 75 pounds. So it's a considerable sum of money. So if you use that as a metaphor for the gifts and talents that God has given unto you, the message is the gifts that I have given unto you are weighty. They have value. And so he instructed these servants of his to take these talents. One he gave five and one he gave two and I think the other one he gave one. And he basically said, go into the financial markets and trade and make me some money. In other words, be fruitful for me as your king. Now, Jesus is basically building a metaphorical picture of what's going to happen when he leaves the disciples. I'm going to a far country. I have already instructed my servants to use the gifts and talents that I've given unto them to produce fruit for the Lord. And when I come back, you're going to be rewarded for how well you walked in the gifts and callings that I've given unto you. That's important. And the way that you're going to be rewarded evidently has to do with rulership. A realm of authority. Amen. That's important. Now, it's really cool because when you get to the parable of the pounds. Jesus gets a little bit more specific. The parable of the pounds in Luke chapter 19 is kind of a companion parable to Matthew 25. It illustrates the same concept of take this money, trade it in the financial markets, and make me some money. And you'll be rewarded for doing that for your master. Okay, But I want you to notice, I don't really want to take the time to read all of Luke 19 because I think I can capture it with two scriptures. How Jesus says they'll be rewarded in Matthew 25 with rulership, and then how he says it in Luke 19 makes it a little bit more interesting and definitely applicable to the millennial reign of Christ. All right, so bear with me. Bear with me with your pet bear at your side. In Matthew twenty-five twenty-one, Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So, Rulership and authority is mentioned, but it's kind of in broad terms. Then in Luke 19, 17, Jesus says to one of his faithful servants, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. What? Hold the phone. Before we were just talking about rulership. Now you're actually making it applicable to cities? Yes. The degree to which you fulfill your life calling here on planet Earth will determine your assignment in the millennial reign. And it will evidently be an assignment of authority of some kind. That's why I said last week, I want something a little bit better than chief dog catcher of New Hanover County. I want a realm of authority where I can have 
uh, impact and influence over the mortals under my command. You know, now I'm thinking of it as a military guy because I used to be a military officer. I want the men and women under my command to have my impact and influence in their life. And I want it to be a big bunch of people. Okay, you know, that may sound prideful, but I don't think it is. So what's the answer? Use the gifts and talents that God has given unto you in this age so that you'll get the dream assignment in the millennial age. And I promise you, if you use your gifts and callings and your talents in this life, if you run your race in this life, then those same gifts, abilities, and talents will be used to the fullest in the millennial reign. And it'll be the assignment of your dreams. Now, I've got some piloting skills that I I earned or I learned or I acquired over 30 years of flying military aircraft. I don't think that they're going to go to waste. I think they'll be used in the millennial reign somehow, some way, and I'm betting on a starship. Amen? You may think I'm crazy. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So let me summarize, say it a little bit more concisely because I've been all over the map. I've been geographic today, all over the map. So one of the things that we can do to prepare for our assignment in the millennial kingdom is to run the race that God has set before us in this life. Find your gift, run your race, and you will be rewarded with a dream assignment during the millennial era, which will fully utilize your gifts and talents. Amen. So don't let fear paralyze you. Don't be afraid to step out in your gift. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Everybody knows 2 Timothy 1, 7, but nobody bothers to read it in its context. Everybody knows, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's one of the most commonly memorized scriptures in the body of Christ. But there's an element you're missing out on if you don't read the whole thing. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This verse in its context is telling you not to be afraid to step out in the gift of God that has been given unto you. Amen. Don't be afraid to be who God called you to be. Don't be afraid to use the gift that God has given unto you. Don't stay in the shadows because you're paralyzed with fear. What will people think about me if I start operating in my gift? You operate in your gift and let God sort it out. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody here needed to hear that. Woo. Listen. Finding your gift is not some heavenly game show. You've got a gift. Guess what it is? God wants you to know. If you will seek him, he will show you. Because he's the one who put it in you. Amen? It's that simple. Find your gift and run your race. And receive the maximum reward when you get to the millennial era. Glory to God. Hallelujah. One more thing. In Luke 19... 
the parable we didn't have time to read in its entirety. In verse 13, Jesus says something that will just set you on fire. And he called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Notice Jesus said, Occupy till I come. He didn't say, Hide in a hole with ammo and food until I come. He said, Occupy till I come. Occupy is an interesting word. In the Greek, occupy means literally get busy. And in the context of the financial markets parable, it means get busy and make some money for your Lord. Amen. So if you translate that over to using your gifts and abilities in this life, Jesus is saying you need to get busy using your gift to produce fruit for your Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. But occupy has another meaning in the English. Among other things, occupy in English is a commonly used military term. It means to take ground from the enemy and hold it. Amen. Napoleon Bonaparte was a brilliant military strategist and tactician. Probably one of the best the world has ever seen. Concerning warfare, he put it this way. The object of war is victory, but the object of victory is occupation. You don't just have a war to have a war and say, I whipped you. You have a war to beat somebody and occupy their territory. Amen. In other words, Jesus was saying, learn to rule and reign while I'm gone. So you'll be ready to rule and reign when I come back. Amen. Glory to God. So in conclusion, regardless of how soon you believe Jesus is coming back, there's a very clear mandate that Jesus communicated unto us through the parable of the talents and the parable of the pounds. Until the Lord comes back to this earth to set up his earthly kingdom, the body of Christ has been commissioned to use our gifts, use our talents in such a way that we become an occupying force. It's way past time that the church started acting like an occupying force, pushing back the darkness and bringing in the light all over the world. We are to produce much fruit for our king. Let's believe God for hundreds, thousands, millions, even billions to be saved, healed, filled and delivered. Let's not put a cap on the glory of God and the ability of God. Let's commit to do that here at Faith Life Fellowship for the remainder of this year, for 2019 and beyond. Amen? Next week, we'll wrap up this series with the final rebellion, the great white throne judgment, and the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part six of today's message titled, Alien Invasion. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <laughs>